All right. Welcome back to Being the Best Version of Yourself podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Heller. Today, we have an exciting show. We, we have Gabrielle here, and we're going to have a fun discussion. So, Gabrielle, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Hi, Carrie. It's really great to talk with you this afternoon. So, my name is Gabrielle Saja, and <clears throat> excuse me. I teach kids who feel like they're treading water at school and maybe feel a little isolated from their friends how to feel calm and confident how to quiet that mental chatter, how to manage the big emotions that always seem bigger than real life when they're growing up. And so if a kid can feel calm and confident, then they're just more happily and more easily able to function in the world. And one of the reasons I love working with kids is because I actually found my calling as a physical therapist and Alexander teacher when I was a teenager. Uh, way back in the 70s, there was a big push for young girls to consider the professions. So for a career day writing assignment, my treasure hunting in the library, I think a library is a really magical place, led me to a book called So You Want to Be a Physical Therapist. And it was just amazing. I mean, there was something about the alchemy of scientific inquiry and problem solving, and then also helping people from each of their own individual lifestyles and values that I just found really compelling as, as a teenager. So fast forward, I became a physical therapist. And in my very first job, I hurt myself. And then I discovered the Alexander technique, because even though I really did have access to excellent medical care, I still wasn't getting better. I was in pain every day. So when I discovered the Alexander technique and I started to have my first couple of lessons, I was just amazed from the very moment I felt simultaneously at ease and comfortable with myself but also really strong and grounded and comfortable. It was this really interesting combination of power and also feeling calm at the same time. So I just decided right then and there to train to be a teacher. So what I'm doing now is I am helping kids and adults how to access their own body wisdom to feel that calm and confidence so that whatever it is they want to do, they feel successful. Well, that's neat. And it sounds like what you're describing that there's a big physical aspect to this, but Abs not just mental. Absolutely. You know, learning begins in utero. And we know this, but we don't know it. We, we tend to forget it, especially those of us that are in the health and educational professions. Um, we learn to hear our mother's voice. We hear music. We actually maybe even learn how to manage stress in utero. Um, then we're born. And then all of a sudden, you know, life is just this very rich sensory motor feast. We call around. We put things in our mouth. Um and, you know, we sit and read, we run around the playground. And so we're constantly learning. I mean, from the moment we wake up until we fall asleep zonked, we are learning and we're learning with our body. And then all of a sudden we go to school and it starts a little bit in pre-K and then a little bit more in kindergarten and on up. And then all of a sudden we have recess and we have academics. So a false dichotomy gets set up. And we never stop learning with our body. So what I do is I help students bring those two things together, especially for the kids who are struggling in school, kids who easily feel overwhelmed. Those are the kids who can really benefit 
from figuring out how to be at home in their body and letting their body be an anchor so that they can quiet themselves so that they can release physical tension. And then it's more easily, then they can more easily concentrate. Well, it definitely sounds really, really important. And does that look different in, for different people in terms of what that actually looks like physically? You know, body shapes definitely have an impact on how we learn. Um, for example, a lot of chairs in schools encourage this, right? And what happens when we're sitting like this, and if you wanted to try it now, you don't have to, um, you'll notice that it's hard to breathe. It's hard to be upright. And even sitting here, you can see how my body has changed in relationship to my computer and my keyboard. Um, likewise, if I'm really stiff and I'm trying to have really good posture and I'm or I'm tense and I'm anxious and I'm worried about how I'm going to do on my test, I'm also interfering with my breath. And all of this muscle tension is interfering with our ability to think and to think straight and to think clearly. So, you know, it's really interesting because there's this ongoing conversation happening in our brain and our body all the time, whether we know it or not, right? I mean, our brain is helping us stay upright. It's taking in the written word. It's taking in visual information, light, sound, and we want it to be all in the background because we don't want to get flooded and interfere with doing our work. That's true for all of us, for you, for me, for young people, but kids who are anxious, kids who are depressed, kids who have ADHD, it's really hard to manage what I call this neurophysiological noise. This conversation humming around that should be in the background is a little bit more front and center. So if kids are already feeling a little bit cognitively overwhelmed, then teaching them some very simple body-based skills of thinking more clearly can be really helpful for kids in these categories. Hmm. And is it easier for kids that are younger to learn this or older, or does age not matter that much? You know, we all can learn whether we're two or 92. Um, but I think that the younger we teach kids how to keep from interfering with their natural poise, how to, how to, how do we keep kids from interfering with their ability as young sponges, right? I mean, we're just constantly soaking up information. So if we can learn how to stay calm and organized in our body from a really early age, then it's more easy to stay calm and organized as we get older. And I think especially it's relevant for teenagers. You know, during adolescence, our ability to have self-awareness isn't quite all the way hooked up yet, right? They tend to be a little bit impulsive. There's not a lot of inhibitory action going on in the front of their minds. And so it's a really great time to teach self-awareness while that part of our brain is still developing. Well, yeah, that definitely makes sense that it's easier, you know, in some ways you're younger, but you can really do it at any point. Yeah. And, and actually I work with parents and teachers. I mean, my gosh, parents are stressed out these days. I mean, being a parent is a lot of work, especially for working parents. Um, being a teacher is also a really complicated, very demanding task. 
So even as adults, I mean, parents and teachers can learn how to learn with their bodies and, and, and really being able to take care of ourselves and take a moment for ourselves in the middle of an activity, I think is what's really lovely. I mean, exercise is important. Yoga is important. Meditation is a wonderful skill set and activity. But if we can kind of bring all these together and in the moment, that can be really helpful. Um, one young person that I have worked with came to me actually for some hand-eye arm coordination issues. She had trouble handling a knife. Um, this little girl was 11 and she had trouble opening doors. And the other interesting thing is she had the energy of like four puppies. I mean, she was really hyperactive, super smart, really curious, always asking questions. And what's interesting is, is the ability to be coordinated is also associated with hyperactivity. So in addition to helping her with some of her body coordination issues, I also taught her things based on the Alexander Technique principles to how to stop in the moment. And if she started to want to interrupt or want to offer her opinion, which was important, it gave her a moment to settle into herself and then proceed. <clears throat> and I'm thinking about this certainly for, you know, let's say people, you know, kids or you know, adults with ADHD in terms of impulsivity, whether it's saying something or doing something. What I wonder though, with this approach, does the reason for the impulsivity make a difference? So for example, sometimes ADHD versus anxiety, and that's causing impulsivity. Does that make a difference using Alexander Technique and how you would approach sort of addressing it? You know, I don't think so. And I think that's what's, I mean, any of us can learn at any time, right? And the principles are the same. What's really happening is there's something getting with the way, either with our feelings or in our thinking, that is not blinding us, but kind of creating noise. You know, mm -hmm. it's just creating this white noise. And so I think that any kids, regardless of what it is they're struggling with, whether it's emotional or more of the, the cognitive overwhelm, we can do the same thing. I mean, certainly a teacher wants to be aware of what's happening and what the specifics are, whether it's anxiety or ADHD. Um, one of the things that I think is important, and it might be more important for kids that are anxious or depressed, is that feeling of safety, right? I mean, safety is absolutely necessary for learning. And there's safety as in my home is safe, my neighborhood is safe, my school is safe. But then there's also what I call neurological safety. And that's the stuff humming around in the background. And kids who feel anxious or depressed they are not feeling safe in themselves. And so it's really essential to be aware that when you're working with kids who are anxious or depressed, that creating a sense of safety and a teacher being able to reach out to them in that way is, is really important. And when we're helping a child be in charge of their body, then they feel safe and they feel like they're more able to function out in the world. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, certainly from like a biological standpoint in general, this, you know, safety, obviously there's different aspects as you described, but it's definitely you know, a, very, a very important thing. Yeah. Um, 
And in terms of maybe thinking, you know, people who may want to kind of take some of these things that we're talking about and even to start to apply some ideas related to them in their own life, you know, with their kids at home. I mean, would starting with the seating position, like, would that be like a simple way to start with this? Like, or what do you think might be a good starting point aside from any sort of professional sort of assistance with, with, with this, with this aspect of, of functioning? So we have something in the Alexander Technique community. It's based on Alexander Technique principles. And I don't know if I've really explained what the Alexander Technique is. Um, one simple definition is that it's a body-mind educational method that teaches us how to quieten the mental chatter, release physical tension, and then that helps support focus. But we have something called the ready list. And what the ready list does is it helps us in a moment, engage ourselves in a really calm way. So do you want to try this? Sure. <clears throat> okay. So can you be aware that your feet are on the floor? Uh, well, I guess I should put them on the floor first. Yeah, there you go. Okay, no, I have just... an ergonomic chair, so my feet are holding it at the moment. But let me put right. it down on the floor. Ergonomic chairs are great. Now, as you put your feet on the floor, do you notice? Is there anything different about your support? Yeah, well, I feel like now it's, I mean, I feel it in my feet. So I feel in some ways more stable. Exactly. Um, but I also feel it uh, sort of like lighter in my back. Yeah. I mean, if you're feeling lighter in the back and lighter, stable, again, you're quieting some of that physical tension. Your brain is more online and eventually you will feel calmer. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I already feel calmer, actually. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, yes, the simple act of just putting your feet on the floor can really make a difference. And this is hard for some kids. Some kids have to learn how to do this. I mean, they're antsy. They want to run around and they want to move. And that's really normal. So how do we help them feel comfortable putting their feet, feet on the floor is really important. So let's say we are about to take a test or we're about to dive into reading a document on the computer. So we could just stop and look around your environment. Just see what's happening in your space, in your world. Don't be afraid to let your head and your eyes move. So we stop and we see, and then breathe. Hmm. And sometimes when we just stop and remind ourselves to breathe, there is a little bit of a release of our breath. Now, still being aware of your feet on the floor, can you think about being soft and tall at the same time? So if we're soft, we're not blah, we're not collapsed, and we can be tall, but we're not trying to have good posture because that doesn't right, work. It seems like an inter intermediary kind of, I don't know, phase is the right word, but this idea of not sort of super stiff, but not sort of hunched over either. Exactly. Exactly. I like to say upright and not tense and then relaxed, but not collapsed. So yeah, we it actually feels like a very comfortable position. Great. So we can just stop at any time of the day. And we have to do this over and over. We can stop and see and breathe and think soft and tall. I appreciate you sharing this, everyone. I think this is definitely something that I think a lot of people can certainly try. I certainly will, will definitely continue to try this on my own, too, because I definitely I can feel how much... I don't know any of you at home trying this out, but certainly I feel far more relaxed just as we're doing this in the, during this conversation. Great, great. And again, the more we practice it, then the more our brain and our body learn how to be here on our own. 
So there's both a long-term learning that happens, and then there's just the short-term in the moment. So we're we're really getting a double benefit of a short-term strategy and then the long-term learning. Yeah, and it also sounds like, especially for you know parents that have younger kids, that there's certainly a value in having you know size-appropriate furniture because obviously for you know let's say the kitchen table, a lot of kids can't reach the ground <laughs> or you right. know like a couch, depending on the size of the couch and size of the child. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually a very big issue for schools, really all over the world. Um, there's actually was a very successful project in the UK where the school system wanted, very large school system, wanted to replace school chairs with stacking chair, which had the seat sloping backwards, which of course would make it hard to be upright. Hmm. So a group of Alexander teachers actually lobbied very successful for chairs that promoted more upright sitting. There's actually a preschool and um, sort of like ages three to six, a little bit into kindergarten here, um, where they don't have chairs. Kids are not required to sit in chairs. They can do their schoolwork. They can do their projects. They can do story time in whatever position, as long as they're sitting quietly. You know, this idea of asking a child to sit still or even us grownups to sit still, it's really hard because we're not designed to be still. But if we could sit quietly, kids know quiet. It's possible to wiggle quietly. And if we're right. sitting- so things like being in, being in a position that you're comfortable in would allow you to actually maybe not wiggle as much or do it in a way where it's not disturbing to others. Right. And then we're not disturbing others and we're not wiggling as much. Then there's more energy left over for concentrating and doing whatever the target hand requires. Yeah. And including paying attention. Right. I mean, the idea of being able to to be quiet enough in ourselves in order to listen to what the teacher is saying, in order to participate in a group or a class circle. I mean, that's those are really important skills for young kids. And it's a little bit more challenging for kids who are struggling with ADHD or, or emotional frustrations. Right, exactly. Like one of the things I like to think about is I like to, I call it the idea of harnessing fidgeting to improve focus that by sort of harnessing the fidgeting in a controlled way. So you're, you know, not necessarily stopping it, but doing it in a way that maybe works a little bit better and isn't as disruptive, you know, in turn can focus better and then be more engaged. Right. And you know, it's, that's what I love that word harnessing because kids understand harnessing their energy. And then they feel like when kids feel like they have control over their energy, to the little ones, we say, we're teaching you how to be the boss of your body. To, to a teenager, we might say, we're teaching you how to harness your energy, how to navigate or negotiate with your energy. Because then if, if they feel like the locus of control is within themselves, then it's a lot easier to help them participate and go along with whatever it is you're asking them to do. Yeah. Exactly. Because you're sort of taking a collaborative approach as opposed to sort of saying they have to do it this way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's where you get into issues with schools or schools, obviously have to cater to a lot of people. So it's hard for them to individualize it. But, but again, it's, you know, if it's not working for a fair amount of people, if it's, you know, cheaper for the school or for other reasons, you know, this is how it's been done for many years. It's hard sometimes for, I mean, some schools I think are definitely far better than others with kind of making those changes to be accommodating. But I, I do think that it is definitely a big issue if you think about the structure of the typical school, you know, especially for younger kids. 
I mean, even for high school, which is still not great, but at least, you know, middle school, high school, for the most part, you know, kids are, you know, every four or five minutes an hour, depending on the length of class, at least getting up. Whereas, you know, sort of elementary school age kids, while there's, you know, certainly shifting around and ideally interactive stuff, it's often still a long time to sit. It is. And that's something that those of us in the healthcare and educational fields are, are trying to address. And, and so teachers, actually, if they have been given... If they learn the, the same skills that the kids are learning, then the teachers can get kids to cooperate in that manner also. I mean, can you imagine just the beginning of, of first grade or the beginning of a class when you're in middle school and everybody's running around and it's a really nice spring day, winter's over and nobody wants to sit. And if the teacher just said, okay, everybody, before you sit down, let's all just stop. And can you look around and see, and can you breathe, and can you be soft and tall? And then everybody can sit down, and then the teachers got their attention, right? They're, they're using their bodies, so they're harnessing all that physical energy, and then now they're ready to, to learn and focus. Right. So these, you know, in some ways, fairly s simple strategies that teachers can use and those other people as well, that in turn can make a, a huge difference in terms of overall functioning of the class, how relaxed and engaged people are. And, you know, for other reasons, certainly, you know, make things probably a lot better. Yeah. And, you know, that relaxation is part of that safety aspect, right? If a, if a teacher in the classroom, if a parent at home is creating a space of collaboration is creating a space of support and safety that's also going to make it easier for for kids to quiet themselves and then to focus and concentrate yeah right no exactly yeah. yeah i mean i think there's a definitely a lot a lot of different pieces to this but it's also about the idea of you know one size does not fit all so the idea of looking at each person's individual needs and figuring out you know what system or strategies or approach or, or approaches you know, work that would work the best to, to help that individual person. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I really like about using the ready list and some of the other principles we've been discussing is that each person has it for themselves. And so what, as you know, what stresses you out might be different than what stresses me out. But regardless, there are these, these foundational principles of how human beings function that each of us with our own individual preferences can rely on in order to help ourselves. I mean, when we're, when we're working with kind of universal principles of learning and how the human organism is designed to learn, then each person can use them to their own benefit. And that's different than the external structures that are set up in our educational system, which don't work for everyone. Right. Right. I mean, that's why, you know, some people really thrive in school in, in let's say a typical school and others you know, need a different kind of environment, but are fully capable of thriving if it's, you know, in sort of a different kind of environment. Right. Right. I mean, some kids were able to thrive when everybody went on lockdown and shut down because they liked being out of the classroom. Right. They felt a little bit more able to focus. And then the kids that were missing all the social energy, which helped them be able to focus, they were, they were struggling also. So, you know, being able to teach kids a skill set so they have something for themselves, I think is a real gift. And 
And if we teach children how to learn, you know, we, we want to learn how to learn. There's a way to learn. And, and if we can use our own body as an anchor and as a source, I, I think kids are just going to feel a lot more comfortable and safe. No, no, I think it's definitely a really good lesson, you know, and, and point to share. Because it's funny, I was thinking about the like the lockdown and you know school on Zoom yeah. earlier on in our conversation as well. Because I feel like what kept coming back to, you know, from my experiences, you know, working with kids during that time was that, you know, there are some kids that really thrived in that situation more so than the regular classroom because, you know, they had the ability sometimes to get up more and, you know, have more control over their space and they could fidget and no one was going to right. be disturbed by usually. But then there are other kids that, you know, really struggled because they had to sit for longer in different ways or didn't, depending on how this class was set up, couldn't get up as much or, you know, certainly missed the social aspect. Right. Or, you know, if, if they had a hard time focusing and there wasn't anyone to, to keep an eye on them at home, you know, or sort of could be far more off task. Yeah. And, you know, for adults, it's a little bit easier to say to an adult, um, we know you're there in this meeting, even though your video is off, because then that adult, I mean, I have some of the adults in my practice and I teach this in my workshops. Um, it's okay to move around. You know, if you're going to be on a conference call, walk around your home, walk around the office. Um, but with kids, you you can't necessarily do that, right? So you had kids on video, you had kids off video, older kids, right. some were synchronous, some were asynchronous. And so how do you give kids permission to move and learn at the same time? And sometimes moving is sitting quietly. I mean, that might sound like a paradox, but sitting is a really complicated activity. I mean, I don't know about you, but my feet have kind of lost the ground right now. So I don't know, are your feet still on the floor? No, I, I picked them up to put them back on the chair. Yeah. <laughs> but this I, is I mean, they're actually, they're actually normally on the ground. It's this particular chair, the way yeah. it's set up is my feet sort of are like hanging in front or something. But normally most other chairs I use, they would, would be on the ground. But yeah, um, yeah. But I think it gets the idea, like even think about like a wobble chair, you know, and that's something that I think works well for a lot of kids. And, you know, I've seen some schools, you know, let kids have those or in class. For those of you who aren't aware, but basically a chair where you sit on it, and you almost have to move a little bit to keep it still. Right, right. And those I, are I great. Personally, I personally enjoy it. I have one I sit on throughout sometimes during the day as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And and many years ago, we would use those big physio balls to sit on. And you could actually buy um, like this frame where a physio ball would sit on this small frame where it had four or five caster wheels. Oh, it's so, like, like the yoga, like the chair right there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you got one. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So you see, so what's interesting is there's all these, there's all these things out in the world and to help us sit more comfortably. Right. And, and that's because sitting is a really complicated task. Right. So the extra- I think there's time, right. But I think there are also times where, in, I mean, I think this is probably easier for adults in a working environment than for kids in school, but I've seen this in school sometimes too, where, you know, you don't necessarily always have to sit even you can stand sometimes while you're working or right. you know, learning, right. you know, and some schools are more are set up better for kids to, be able to do that, but you know, standing desk, or, you know, a balance board, something that allows people to kind of get movement in, but not, not even have to sit the whole time. Yeah. And I think those kids who feel more comfortable moving, if we give them permission to move or to stand in the back of the classroom or maybe sprawl on their bellies on the floor, they're probably going to be able to pay attention more than if you're asking them to sit behind a desk in a chair at a table. Right. I mean, again, we're giving them control over their bodies. And when we feel like we're in control, we're more easily able to pay attention. 
Yeah. Well, here's a question, or maybe sort of a final question that I was thinking from this is so one of the questions that I get asked a lot is, you know, a parent will say, you know, my kid likes to do homework sprouted on their bed. And usually the parent takes issue with it. Like, how do you feel about a child sprawled out on their bed doing their homework? So I'm of two minds, actually. Um, I think it's really important from a very early age to, to learn good sleep hygiene. Um, you know, reading for a few minutes in bed before we fall asleep is fine, but beds are for sleeping and sleep is such an issue. Um, for young kids, it's a little bit e- hard or easier to fall asleep. Teenagers, as we know, are just horribly sleep deprived. And so we need to get into good habits around sleep when we're younger. And the other part of me is that if it, if you're most comfortable sprawled in bed reading and studying, if there's really no other options, then, then we go with that. But I might ask that parent and I might investigate with that child what's making it difficult to be in the chair, to be at a desk, or to be on the floor? Like what's interfering in that way? And how can we transition them out of the bed into another piece of furniture or another workstation setup so that they can learn good sleep hygiene and at the same time be comfortable enough to concentrate to do their homework? Yeah, well, that's so a really good question. question. It's definitely important because you always want to understand if something's not working or not doing a certain way, why? Because that often holds the key to make things better. Yep. And, you know, developmental, I mean, we, this is a completely different conversation, um, but learning, thinking, feeling, movement, all of these functions on the part of the human being are developed from a very early age and they're all linked together. So we want to figure out, well, is there something going on with how kids are growing and learning that's getting in the way of them being able to do these tasks? But again, I think it just comes down to, you know, every child has their own particular learning style. And I think our job as educators is to tap into and to learn and understand what that child needs so we can create the conditions for them to thrive. I mean, that's what, that's our job, right? Is to figure out what's best for a kid and then, and then create that situation so that they can learn best. No, exactly. Yeah. Well, this has been a really great conversation. I've I've definitely had a lot of fun, learned a lot. Hope everyone listening has as well. And I guess, Gabrielle, if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? So they can find me at gabriellesaja.com. That's a mouthful. Gabrielle, G-A-B-R-I-E. L-L-E-C-Z-A-J-A.com. My phone number for those of you who still like landlines is 202-223-4943. And I love to help people and I'd love to chat. So I hope those of you that are listening will uh, feel free to reach out. Give me a call. All right, wonderful. Well, thanks, thanks again for coming on the show today. It's been a lot of fun. Harry, this has just been really lovely. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome.